Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Today we're going to talk about the revival of Michigan Central Station, which reopened this week as Michigan Central Innovation District, a campus owned by Ford in Detroit's Corktown neighborhood. Big changes for the city and for the Detroit automaker. Then photographer and filmmaker Stephen McGee will join to talk about the millions of images and thousands of hours of film he's collected over a few decades here in Detroit. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Detroit Today is supported by the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. And welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and I'm really glad you've joined us today. The train station. For decades, if you said that phrase in Detroit, just those three words, they evoked a pronounced sense of loss and abandonment and blight. Michigan Central Station stood empty and hollowed out on Michigan Avenue, its 13-story edifice towering in menace over the Corktown neighborhood in Southwest for decades. As a native Detroiter, I had kind of become resigned to the idea that, well, that's the way it was going to be, maybe forever. A train station went empty when I was a teenager here in Detroit, and... I'm in my early 50s now. I have children who are teenagers. But five years ago, something pretty important happened. And change seemed to be right over the horizon. Ford Motor Company bought the train station from the Maroon family, who owned it along with lots of other neglected properties in the city. And Ford has now made the station the centerpiece of its strategy for the future. Today, Ford calls itself a mobility company, not just a car company. And that signal is to say that they're trying to do so much more than produce and distribute cars. They're really thinking about the way transportation defines our lives and the way in which we get around is central to our lives. Part of that vision seems to be the new lab within Michigan Central Campus. New lab opened on Tuesday at the restored Book Depository Building, which is right next to Michigan Central and is part of this new campus. And it's working to attract startups and entrepreneurs to build new and exciting companies in this broader industry of mobility that's really taking shape in some very interesting ways all over the country, but especially right here in Detroit. Some of the startups based at New Lab include a drone manufacturing platform, an automated vehicle company, and a local air pollution monitoring company. 
And again, this is all happening in a place that, for lack of a better description, was just dead in our city. Later in the hour, we're going to talk about Michigan Central Station in a little bit of a different context. We're going to explore Detroit, how it's changed over time, and what the city means depending on who's talking about it or who's looking at it, with photographer and filmmaker Stephen McGee, who has literally millions of images and thousands of hours of film about our city over a long period of time. But before there, we want to talk about New Lab, about Michigan Central, and what it means to become a mobility hub as is being attempted here. To do it, we have Josh Syrethman, he is the CEO of Michigan Central here with us. Josh, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Um, I'm a great admirer of your work and your program. So oh, very you. honored to be on. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So I, I, I want to talk first about uh, the milestone this week, the, the event you had to introduce Detroit to this new vision of the Michigan Central campus. Uh, talk about what the car company, what Ford, is trying to accomplish uh, by taking this campus, making it about mobility, reviving it after such a long time uh, of it not really being in use. Well, I, I loved your description about the station because the, the book depository building, which is right next to the station, we really think about in some ways as our best kept secret. And what we celebrated on Tuesday was the opening of that building. Um, we've, we call it New Lab at Michigan Central. Uh, and it's really um, the first part of the work at Michigan Central coming online. Um, and so, that you know, over time, the station will just add to that. But, but in the meantime, the energy and what's going on inside New Lab at Michigan Central is extraordinary. The other thing, Stephen, that you mentioned is that um, – this is all catalyzed by an incredible vision um, from Ford and and a substantial investment from Ford. But it's an open platform, and and it's really um, that vision of an open platform is coming to life. And, and what does that mean? It means any company can participate. Any company should participate. It's not about any single one company. It's about about building the talent base, nurturing businesses, nurturing the relationship between businesses and community, um, and really growing this epicenter right in Detroit of the future. Um, and so what we were celebrating on Tuesday is the opening of New Lab at Michigan Central. We've already got, uh, with our partners, New Lab, uh, we've got 33 companies already, and it's just day one in there. Um, about half are from Detroit and the region. Uh, half are from literally around the country and around the world. Uh, a third um, are led by underrepresented founders. And this is literally day one. So we're just getting started and yeah. uh, we're super excited. So I, I want to talk just a little about what that means to become sort of a mobility company rather than uh, a car company and, and the kinds of companies that you're interested in being part of of new lab as as part of that as i said you know i mean ford is ford is synonymous with detroit in in many parts of the world uh this is a big change though uh from the blue oval uh, that we're also familiar with uh, talk a little about what all this is really about 
It's really about building an ecosystem that is uh, world-leading and market-leading, focused on what we describe as the intersection of mobility and society. And, and so what does that mean? That means that it's not just it's certainly not just automotive. It's really about all things that fit within physical mobility, social mobility, economic mobility, the interrelationship between them. Um, so we have already tons of work going on between the companies that are a part of New Lab at Michigan Central and also doing what we call applied innovation work with Michigan Central. We've got a ton going on around electrification, for example, and the implications from that. We've got companies focused on alternative fuels and the implications of that. We've got companies focused on, you mentioned drones before, in our you know jargon we call advanced aerial mobility. We've got companies that are deeply involved in all aspects of the potential of drones for all kinds of uses. But then we also work with public sector partners. The city and the state are very active and tremendous partners for us. Other policymakers in, in figuring out what are the policy implications that that would both enable work, but also make sure that these technologies are applied in ways that are beneficial for real people in in real places. Um, so when we talk about mobility, it's really this sort of very, very broad look. You mentioned um, we have a company uh, in New Lab at Michigan Central that is all about uh, measuring air quality in communities. And it's sort of fascinating because what it's really doing is saying, what's the legacy of mobility mobility's history, mm-hmm. if you think about all the environmental implications, and how do we now take that information and data and use the new tools that we have to do better and to fix that moving yeah. forward. Yeah. I'm talking with uh, Josh Syrofman. He is the CEO of Michigan Central, a campus owned by Ford Motor Company in Corktown. Uh, they had a big debut this week of the book depository building that is next to the old Michigan Central station. Ford has been rede- redeveloping that entire uh, site for about five years. Uh, we want to hear from you, the listeners, as well during the conversation. What do you think is the best way to spark innovation in the mobility sector? What do you think of this dead space in our city coming back to life uh, the way it is over on uh, Michigan Avenue? If you haven't driven by, for instance, uh, I, I really would recommend that you do. It It looks and feels uh, just and unimaginably different right now uh, than it did just a few years ago. Uh, also, give us a call and let us know what kinds of things you think we need to do to improve not just the way we get around in the city of Detroit and its suburbs, but also how we continue to think, uh, rethink uh, places that have not been active for a long time. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation. Uh, Josh, I know that that uh, there's been this has been a long uh, journey uh, rehabbing and revitalizing that campus, but as I said, it sits in the middle of a neighborhood, and there has been a lot of effort uh, so far. To try to to try to include the neighborhood in in what happens down there and how it all integrates. Uh, talk about the community end of this and and how that's going. Sure, um, I think there's a, there's a few layers to that. So so first, we are 
right in both Court Town and and Southwest Detroit. Mm-hmm. And so we try to be very active in um, not just being good neighbors, but actually engaging directly with um, all of our neighbors. And and that's not just to sort of say this is what we're doing, but we really aspire to to have the community be a part of the work that's going on and to be a part of of the the restoration and the and the sort of next generation of use of whether it's the book depository building and especially when we're ready the the, the train station um, but we also think about about community in in additional layers so for example as much as building an ecosystem of companies is part of our mandate so is making sure that jobs that they create and the skills that can be exposed by the work they're doing are used to benefit all Detroiters. Um, we want to make sure we build a very strong pipeline to match companies with um, with individuals, but also essentially what's the work that's happening at Michigan Central is a glimpse into the future and tells us what skills are going to be needed increasingly. And so we think we can develop training programs, training curriculum that can both happen on site, but with partners, we can scale and really um, uh, impact um, a huge segment of of Detroiters uh, as they prepare for for, for the future jobs. Um, so you know we think we think about community in lots of ways. We also um, think about uh, you know long term we think about ownership and what does that mean in a community context. And you know I think it's a right now we emphasize sort of making sure that that we look at ownership through ownership of the companies that that can be fostered at Michigan Central. But I think over time, we're very interested in how can we explore additional concepts around that. Um, So, you know, more to come on that front. But this is a huge part of the ethos of what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, Uh, We've got a question on Twitter. It says, is this an introduction of a potential improvement to public transportation. Uh, the writer says they are originally from the DMV. I know what that means because I used to live in that area as well, uh, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Uh, so they say they know what working public transport looks like, and they feel like that's what Detroit needs most from this. Uh, talk about the intersection of this switch to mobility and the idea of, of public transit. Sure. Well, I'll tell you my my dream for 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 public transit in Detroit, which is that Michigan Central can play a role in illuminating how new capabilities can create new models of transit that would be sort of uh, Detroit's really optimal for. So, for example, you know, if you think about the the capability of autonomous mobility, so self-driving vehicles, even if it's you know level two, three, where you you still have people involved, but but maybe that enables what I would call point-to-point on-demand transit. So for a city like Detroit, where we've got no shortage of road space, it'd be pretty hard to build heavy-duty, you know, major transit infrastructure. And we're spread out geographically. What if you had the ability to, on-demand, get picked up and dropped off exactly where you need to go um, at the cost of public transit? Mm-hmm. And and, and I think Detroit's the optimal city to lead the way on that. And so my hope is that, that we can foster the capabilities at Michigan Central. We can engage with 
public sector and community partners over time to maybe play a role in in Detroit actually showing the way for the next generation of what transit can mean. So I'm going to say something that is just totally about my personal attachment to Detroit and to that place. Uh, I can remember as a kid going to Michigan Central and getting on trains uh, to go to Chicago or, or, or other places. Is that a possibility that we might reclaim that spot uh, as the, the the train station here in in Detroit? Uh, there's a lot of infrastructure that's still there. I'm sure it's in terrible shape at this point because it's been so long. But is that something that, that is at least on the board and and being thought of or talked about? Yes. So so you know we're on the south side of the station. We'll be building. Um, very substantial and what I hope to be a truly extraordinary uh, public space. We are doing that in a way that will not um, not preclude future rail service, but we're going steps further um, and doing our part to prepare for the ability for trains to stop there again. I, to be honest, I don't think the station as a building becomes a station again. We'd mm-hmm. have to figure out another way where sort of people – um, come on and off, but we would love to see rail service over time. I know that there's a lot of interest in um, at the uh, in the public sector, at the city and the state level. I know even at the Amtrak. Um, so I, you know, I, I I only control our ability to <laughs> both be ready for it and accommodate it yeah. and advocate for it. But um, I do think it's something that we will see. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Andrew in Detroit. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, first time ever calling in on the radio. Oh, good. Go ahead, Andrew. Uh, so my, my, uh, my question is, um, with the focus on um, autonomous vehicles and kind of individual transportation that he mentioned, uh vehicle per person. Um, there's a lot of studies that show the effectiveness of buses and trains as far as getting people around. Um, is there any companies developing large-scale vehicles at this uh, new facility? Yeah, great question, uh, Andrew. We talked a little bit earlier, Josh, about the kind of intersection between mobility and, and public transit. But uh, I think Andrew's specific question is whether you already have companies working on uh, uh, mass passenger vehicles, large vehicles that carry lots of folks, and how they could be different uh, than they are now. Yeah, there, there, there's lots of companies working on that. And, you know, we've been staying close to the market on what's out there, who's doing what. Um, and so I, I agree. I mean, it, you know, at the end of the day, having one individual in a vehicle is, is not the, the optimal solution, even, you know, if you assume totally clean electric vehicles. Uh, but there are there are a lot of companies doing work. I think this is something that over you know the next honestly five to ten years will be an enormous um, progress on it. Michigan Central, we're very keen to play a role in 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 how can we help move um, Detroit to better transit options over time. Yeah, uh, let's take one more call here, Sharon in Birmingham. Sharon, what's on your mind? Well, uh, I'm a frequent user of the SEMTA bus system, being a resident that lives along the Woodward Corridor. I use the fast bus quite a lot mm-hmm. to access downtown Detroit and the Cultural Center. And the one remark that I have, you know, it's a wonderful system. There are shelters in my neighborhood that um, have 
um, an electronic board on them that is supposed to be lit up with when the next bus is arriving, and they're powered with solar panels, but they don't work. Oh, no. Yeah, so um, if they could just help the (laughs) riders by um, updating those um, electronic boards so that they reflect what's going on, that would be a a big help. Yeah, that's an uh, Sharon. That's an interesting. That's an interesting point, and and uh, I'm going to correct you gently, but but with real love for your your longtime uh, uh, residents here in in Southeast Michigan, you were calling it SEMTA still. Uh, those of us who are old enough remember that it used to be SEMTA, Southeast Michigan Transit Authority. It is now SMART. Uh, so so you're you're right, but it is uh, it's called something different. But but Josh, talk about you know what, what her her call reminds me of is that mobility is about more than just wheels and motors. Uh, it's also about technology and the way that it makes it easier for us to get around. And this idea of being able to see where vehicles are, buses or trains or whatever they are, and plan uh, your your arrival at a stop that way uh, is part of it. Is that also part of the picture uh, in this mobility uh, this mobility lab that you're you're creating? Yeah, absolutely. If um, you know, if it's about how do you get information to people, if it's about the energy supply um, and the implications from that. I mean, you know, just think about about the potential of electrification. Uh, there's so many issues that arise around where the infrastructure that's needed, who has access to it, how do you make sure that that's equitable? And so we're trying to foster companies and also um, the conversation uh, to sort of make sure that all aspects of, of the implications of a technology are being taken head on. It's not just about technology, it's about its application to like literally impact climate, to literally make people's quality of life better on a day-to-day basis. And so, so as a result of that, it's, it's not about any one technology, it's literally about all of the different pieces and the elements that hopefully can add up to, to better solutions. Okay, uh, Josh Syrafman, CEO of Michigan Central. It was really great to have you here, and uh, congrats on opening uh, the new lab center at uh, the Michigan Central campus. What's what's next? Uh, what's our next big uh, milestone there? Well, we'll continue to work with our partners at New Lab, who I didn't mention are amazing, and 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 we've attracted them. They've decided to join us in Detroit from New York, uh, and and really help focus on the startup and and early stage companies part of the Michigan Central ecosystem, Michigan Central will be focusing even more broadly than just the startup Mm -hmm. and and early stage companies. The next big step for us will be um, probably sometime around this time next year. uh, Hopefully we'll be having a conversation um, about the station itself. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the meantime, we're going to keep building the ecosystem, keep building our our skills training work, um, keep building our uh, engagement with um, community and, and, and others. And we'll have lots to say over the, over the next year also about um, public space and programs and assorted other things. So yeah. we, gotta, we have a lot to do. Yeah. No, we look forward to all of it. Uh, thanks again for being here on the show. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue talking about Detroit, but we're going to explore what the city 
means from so many different angles and from so many different perspectives with photographer and filmmaker Stephen McGee, who has been shooting pictures and taking film of the city for a really long time. Of course, we'll also want to continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and always be part of the program. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET provides trusted news, inclusive conversations, and cultural experiences that empower the community. 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. This is Detroit Today. On 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you're with us. Detroit is so many things to so many people. And the thing that runs through my head just constantly when I'm here is how much it has changed, especially over the last 30 years. There have been a lot of ups and downs. And if you drive through the city, if you drive through places that you think of as familiar, you're always seeing something different right now, I think. Uh, From the neighborhood where I was born on the near west side, near Livernois and Grand River, to areas downtown on the east side, northwest, it's a really different place than it used to be. Stephen McGee is someone who understands this really well. He has been around the city for the last 18 years, and over that time, he's watched the city change as well. He's a longtime filmmaker and photographer in our city, and I guarantee you probably have seen his images from time to time. I love, for instance, when I'm watching Lions football or Tigers baseball on a network, and they have a cutaway to a commercial and they show a picture or a scene from the city, often they're pictures that I know Stephen took. He's been writing recently about all of the things that have been changing in Detroit as he's been taking pictures and shooting film. Literally millions of images, thousands of hours of film. And he recently published an article about some of his work in our magazine. I'm really excited to have Stephen in studio to talk about all of the different frames that he has seen of Detroit and how they have changed over time. Stephen McGee, welcome to Detroit Today. It's honestly completely an honor to be here, uh, to be in front of this audience and to talk to um, a city that we all love so much. So thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. I should also note that uh, Stephen and I met a long time ago when we were both working for the Detroit Free Press, uh, but we were also neighbors for a while in downtown Detroit. So we've known each other for uh, a long time. I'm really looking forward Uh, to this conversation. So let's go back to the beginning, though, Stephen. You moved to the city 
in 2005. What attracted you here, and what did you expect to find through your lenses? Yeah, it was 2005. I had just traveled the world for a few nonprofit groups, often to places that had some of the most important ruins that some of the most important societies uh, ever have made, you know, like the Colosseum, the pyramids, the Parthenon, you know, then over to Cambodia to Angkor Wat. And in those experiences, I also saw people um, living amongst those. And then also for nonprofit groups, I worked in places like Rwanda and Uganda and Angola in these societies that had incredible um, recent history that I could have just looked at, but saw something so deep with the people. And so coming back to California from these amazing experiences, I just kind of questioned what my purpose was. You know, honestly, I lived through some pretty intense scenarios. Like I was almost killed in Uganda, you know, all these, you know, when you're working in, in, in challenging areas, it's, it's pretty intense. And so the next day Detroit called the Detroit free press was like, Hey, do you want to move out and help start our video department? So sight unseen in 2005, I was like, yes, completely, you know, and, and people during that time, if I was, you know, I was like, I'm going to move to Detroit and literally they would take a step back and be like, why, <laughs> you know, I mean, you remember that time? I do. You I know, do. I remember when I came home in 2007 from, from uh, Baltimore and Washington, everybody I told where that I was leaving and where I was going asked why they, they, they literally said, your career will die if you go back to Detroit. I think that's kind of what drew me closer to my first day here. You know, that kind of idea of underrepresented stories wasn't really a, a coined phrase back mm -hmm, then, mm -hmm. you know, but something that I had just seen around the world with beautiful people uh, drew me to be like, well, that makes me just want to go there more. If everybody is telling me like, don't go there. I'm like, that's, I want to see the people there. So Day one, of course, the buildings were very interesting. I mean, the lens of the world focused on those buildings, you know, and, and came to Detroit for what Detroit didn't have anymore. And I noticed that story kind of repeating itself year after year. And every year that it kept on repeating, I just was able through, honestly, God's grace to see a deeper side of humanity. You know, I'd traveled the world searching for the deepest levels of the human experience. And what I found in Detroit, I think, is one of the most important national narratives today. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about the things that you encountered when uh, you got here to Detroit. 2005 is a really different era in Detroit than it is now. That's just a few years before I came home. <clears throat> there was some excitement about the idea of, of change and positive change uh, in the city but there wasn't a whole lot of evidence of it in so many places that now I think uh, we we could we could really point to and say this is this is really different. Um, so let's talk about what you what you saw through the lens when you got here. Well, I think the human experience you see people for what they can be, or you see you kind of judge them instantly, right? And so same thing with buildings. You know, I saw a landscape of buildings that. I instantly knew was bigger than a zip code narrative, right? And so, of course, there's beauty to me in that, uh, in those buildings that, you know, became so unpopular to photograph. Mm -hmm. But 
right next door was usually incredible life and incredible people. And it just was amazing to me that the world just didn't turn their tripod head to the right or to the left to find those people because I'm like, wow, these buildings are incredible. But, but look at this person over here holding down their block. Look at this person over here supporting their neighbor, loving on their people. And I think, I think that, I think that strength in the neighborhoods, you know, as a white Californian outsider (laughs) took me about four to five years to really get into, you know, but that commitment, it wasn't like, look, I, I, I lost one of my chopsticks yesterday while, or a couple of days ago while I was eating. Like, I'm not an organized person. I'm like, where did one chopstick go? So I wasn't like going out to tell this massive story on Detroit, but Detroit kept on letting me in. The people here kept on showing me that I could be a part of the community. And it was because I'm like, I have a camera and an open heart. And I think the city here works with that. Yeah. yeah, they're like, what are you, you know, I'm bringing this to the table and, and I'm here to serve. I mean, it's one of the things that I, that I think is really interesting to, to observe is the way that as somebody who is from here and has been here most of his life, the way that people who are not from here come to this place and, and experience uh, Detroit, right? I mean, as you point out, there are buildings to experience and there is uh, ugliness to experience uh, in, in many ways. Uh, the, the physical deterioration of the city is something that, that I think shocks a lot of people once they come and see it. But if you talk to just one Detroiter and actually talk to one Detroiter, actually uh, invest in the idea of trying to get to know them and their lives and their experience in their community – uh, you find this warmth and this this uh, openness that doesn't get associated with the city in the national narrative a whole lot. I mean, I always say, when I say people don't know Detroit, I'm talking about Detroiters. People don't know Detroiters, right? They know these images that that you know are transmitted all over the world of of what we look like, but they don't know us. And that experience of coming here and trying to get to know us. I mean, I think it's just really tremendous. Yeah, I feel like there's two parts of that. There's one where I was trying to counter that narrative by informing it or infilling it with human interactions. Um, you know, 2007 to 2009, I was I had just left the Detroit Free Press after winning two national Emmys with an incredible team led by Nancy Andrews and um, I Detroit. remember those days. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> Kathy Kalashevsky. I mean, like these people the photographers, the late David Gilkey, you know, all these people knew the city so well and I was able to work with them and, and that leadership allowed those awards. Um, but then after that, I resigned and I, I, I was in the streets daily with my camera and I ended up only making like $9,000 a year uh, for three years in a row and my mortgage was $12,000. And so I was just in the streets like trying to find these stories and I came across, you know, Kali Sweeney from the downtown or from the Detroit Boxing Gym mm-hmm. And I just showed up and, you know, that I didn't know where that footage was going, um, but I felt like the strength of him was a good representation of the strength of the people. And uh, and what I didn't see when I got the request from the from the major media and the major um, players around the world who wanted stories here that I've worked for was a desire to connect the um the black population, the city is a black city. Yeah. 
the black population with the beauty here. And I think that's something that was reciprocated through an interview I did with Marsha Music. Mm. Um, if you don't know her work, get into that work yeah. real yeah. quick. Um, and she and I were talking for this Hour Magazine piece, which took me literally 400 hours to write because I'm not a writer. But it's, you know, when the story's inside of you, when you, when you, it's like, it's not a passion project, right? It's like, it's part of, part of who you are. Um, when you find that, then you have to find the words to, 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 to cast that vision. So talking to Marsha and this association and almost a disassociation between the beautiful book tower and the beautiful buildings here and, and the springtime, the disassociation actually maybe it's direct or indirect, but it hasn't been associated with the black population here. And, and that's the core of my work. Yeah. And it's not because I'm trying to do that. It's just, that's what's happening, you know? And so it's been, a, that's been, a that's lot of what's my, unfolding and in, in front of us. Well, I think it's, I, you know, it's what it's what's unfolding in front of us. It's, it's important. It's nationally important. It's internationally important just because, you know, I think with the hour magazine piece and in general in my life's work, the narrative that Detroit was great died in 1967 with the uprising and is back again from the inside of the city to the, you know, from every level that I've worked at, people are, are, are not believing that narrative. And so trying to get ways to talk about that into the popular culture mm -hmm. is what kind of my hour magazine piece was about. You know, I started off by saying like Detroit is the, Paris of the 20s, the Berlin of the 80s, the San Francisco of the 60s. But to me, it's even more, you know, and this black welcoming city is on the cusp of leading the world once again. Yeah. And in many ways, it already is. And I, I mean that, right? You know, and I think that kind of actually looking at beyond just the past 60 years and saying with the great migration, like that's, we're building on strong black neighborhoods that have been building uh, ecosystem of content or of, of ecosystem of, of trust, of commerce, of, of life, of music, you know, like Bryce Detroit says, like there's things here that you might not see that are happening yeah. that, that, you know, that, that and you can feel and you, and totally. you, you feel it by interacting with us, by interacting with Detroiters. Yeah. Uh, and, and there isn't another way. It's not another way to tell that story. And I feel like I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert in, in talking about this, but every day I try and learn more and more about just, you know, like conversation with Marcy Music or fame from Livernoy Avenue of Fashion or Yvette Rock. You know, these people that like I've known for more than 10 years and, you know, I, I kind of, I'm like, am I, is how I'm talking about this, you know, can it be informed in a different way so that I can speak about it correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue to talk with Stephen McGee, longtime filmmaker and photographer here in the city of Detroit, about his work, about our city, the way it's changing. I want to get going with you, our listeners, on the phones and on social. What do you make of Detroit? What are some of your favorite places here in the city? Who are some of your favorite people in Detroit? We're talking about how you don't know Detroit if you don't know Detroiters, who are the Detroiters who define that Detroit experience for you? Uh, also talk about how the city has changed, how you're witnessing change here uh, in Detroit. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. 
Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Stephen McGee, a longtime filmmaker and photographer here in the city. He has uh, an article that he recently published in our magazine. It uh, captures his time here in Detroit, uh, but also shares some of the archive of millions of images and thousands of hours of film he has uh, of the city. Uh, We were just talking about the idea of trying to get to know Detroit the way Stephen had to. He moved here in 2005. Uh, He's originally from California. He got to know the city by getting to know Detroiters, uh, rather than point the lens just at the physical landscape here, he started to point it at Detroiters and ask us about our city and how we experience it, what our expectations are and why we love it so much. We want to hear from you during the conversation about all of those things. Call and tell us what you make of our city. Why do you love it? What are some of the favorite places that you have here, but who are some of the favorite people that you have in Detroit? Uh, I always say that Detroit is shaped by those of us who live here, and you don't know it unless you know us. Who are the people that you know that really define Detroit for you? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And uh, you can uh, be part of the show that way. Uh, before we get to listeners, Stephen, we were talking during the break about an observation uh, that you're that, that you're making right now about some similarities, I guess, between Detroit and what has happened here and what is happening here and what's happening on your native West Coast, uh, where there's also an awful lot of change going on. I want you to share that with the listeners. So in general, I think it's the most important time right now to secure and uplift local narratives that have been overshadowed by the popular narrative of this comeback story, which Mm -hmm. I don't really ever say those words. Um, And there's a couple reasons why, just because in general that's important. But then also I truly believe that the world is coming to the Midwest in the next 10 to 15 years. And when you look at the center of the Midwest, we have strong cities um, like Cleveland, also that has been, you know, possibly over over negative, you know, stories have come from there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, kinda, you can go around the entire coast. Um, but when you look at the center of the Great Lakes, we have Detroit. And when I was raised in California, my parents bought their house in 1984, way before the tech boom outside of San Francisco. In 96, we sold for around $400,000, which was not a huge gain. Um, but my childhood home went up to about $3 million. Yeah. You know, like over now it would be worth, yeah, yeah, over the court, well, before COVID, uh, over the course of about, you know, 30 years. And, but there wasn't a population shift. There was just an increase in jobs. And those jobs were all based on tech. So the only industry in, I, this is where I might, be, might not want to fact check me right now, but <laughs> I think auto industry was one of the biggest industries to centralize in Detroit mm-hmm. from 52 to the 60s mm-hmm. it decentralized. The only major industry to centralize after that was tech on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And I'm just seeing these breadcrumbs of a narrative arc because I'm trying to find purpose for my 18 years here, you know, and in general, if I just tell a two hour story uh, in a documentary, which I'm still trying to figure out 
um, funding for and, you know, all that kind of stuff. If I just tell a story about what's happened in the past 18 years, I think that's an incredible story to tell. And there's a lot of people who also also are telling stories from that. But then I also look at just the potential, and I'm trying just to navigate where it belongs, but drip by drip, the West Coast is decentralizing the tech industry. And that might not be okay to say. (laughs) You know, I'm like, I still don't know, but San Francisco currently has more vacant homes than Detroit which is insane to say because those aren't $200,000 homes. Those are five to $50 million homes. Their largest landowner defaulted on a $500 million loan. Like those are huge things. We know about the Silicon Valley bank, Mm -hmm. but it's really, I mean, there's just a a, ripple effect. There's a Uh, ripple effect. So then when you're looking at where they're going, you know, they're going to the Midwest cities, they're going, you know, they might just hit like the Mojave desert. They might hit (laughs) Salt Lake city, but Salt Lake city is about to not have a lake. Like it's like they're like five years away from not having a lake, which yeah. will be the worst asthma in the, in the country, they say. So when you look at every single national narrative from rising sea levels to access to fresh water to a- access to land to centralizing, you know, and then you look at narratives like the great people of Michigan Central Station. I just have to say it's an honor to be a part of the documentation there and, you know, hearing Josh and, and that team talk about their future vision at this time in the national narrative, I think it's not just a singular thing that's happening. Yeah. Like we are a city that's about to, in many ways, like I say, lead the world again. Yeah. And everyone's come. I it's, think everyone's coming here. I do. I, yeah. I, I think, you know, the perspective of what's happening someplace else and how it might affect us is so important. And it's one of the, the uh, more elusive parts of life here. We tend to be pretty insular uh, when we think about our city and we think about ourselves and, and things that are happening. And we don't always look at what's going on elsewhere that might really change the narrative here. So I'm, I'm really glad that, that, that you brought that up. I have not heard anyone uh, put it quite like that before. And I got kind of nervous talking about that. But I also, you <laughs> well, know. It, look, it's a, it's a prediction. I mean, who knows yeah. what, which parts of it will, will come true or not. But the, the observation itself is is valuable to those of us, I think, who live here and think a lot about what's next and what the future might look like. And I, I also just want to kind of say, like, I listened heavily during the Little Caesars um, uh, City Council Day. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted mm-hmm. just to hear how people were talking about the city. And I just want to encourage everybody to to position their conversation about the city from a from a position of strength. The strength that we all know that we have here, the strength that you know you're, you you have inside of you because you've just been through whatever you've just been through. Mm-hmm. Because it's, I, I heard a lot of like, oh, if we just had this or just had that, then we're going to be a good city. And I'm like, I just want to encourage people wherever you're sitting today just to know that your story is important and this, yeah. and this is all part of that. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Gay in Highland Park. Gay, welcome to the show. Well, hello, how are you? Good. Uh, I wanted to say that I arrived in in the Detroit area with a bias toward the beauty of of not only Highland Park, but the Detroit area. And um, it's remained with me ever since. I, my father was a prize-winning photographer in San Antonio, Texas. I grew up in the darkroom with him as a child. The whole family was artists. And, uh, and uh, I was in the next generation that was designated to go into the training for it and everything. 
So I won prizes in photography as a kid, mm. actually, and in art as well. And when I got here, we we discovered the arts and music music community here in Highland Park, which is pretty uh, incredible. Yeah. And uh, so we were part of that scene. The artist Lowell Blalow was doing pictures of art, uh, doing his artwork about Detroit at the time, right on Mm -hmm. two doors down from me. Mm. And uh, my husband at the time uh, was a musician. He was working with some of the musicians as a vocal coach. And uh, we were were very happy with... uh, uh, being here, yeah. we we were we were mostly white, but at the same time, we got along per- perfectly well with everybody yeah. in the black community. And, and well, and, and gay connected, you know that 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 connection between Highland Park and Detroit, and and the the kind of um, lack of distinction, I suppose, uh, the idea that Highland Parkers are Detroiters. I always, I always kind of say that. I mean, I, I know that people from Highland Park are very proud that they're from Highland Park and not Detroit, but it is part of our, our community. And I, I, I love, I love those memories. Uh, Steve, we're going to run out of time in about a minute and a half. Um, but I do want to have you talk just a little about what's next for you. What are you working on? Uh, I have a shoot coming up with Jessica Caremore um, that's going to be heavily focused on Detroit. Um, can't say who it's exactly for, but it should be pretty sweet. Um, and that's in May. But I also, you know, just moving forward, I want the next five to 10 years to lift up the voices here. I think it's a interesting um, thing that sh- she was bringing up. You know, every, a guy named Andre from New Lab was like, there's shoe boxes across the city with happy moments of families from the 80s and 90s. And I just think that's amazing to think about, right? And you can't find that on the internet. You can find everything on the internet, but you can't find positive black stories from the 80s and 90s, the 70s, like like I'd want to be able to access. Black Detroiters on Instagram is doing that really great right Uh now, Uh you know, and other people are too, but... You know, my next goal for my my personal self is to like you know if I can contribute that with that at all, that'd be amazing. But also, you know, this collection of content that I have, it's not about one narrative arc or one lens, like I often say. And at the same time, I want to be responsible with the things I've seen, and I, I have a huge plan on how to get this footage and content out. Um, and I'm I'm trying to figure out uh, partners. I'm trying to figure out yeah. Um, that kind of big stuff because I feel like our time is now and the city's the city's the most I think important narrative arc in this in this nation. Yeah. All right, Stephen McGee, uh it's always a lot of fun to talk with you and I'm really glad you came into the studio today to be part of the show. Thanks so much and congratulations again on the hour article. Oh thank you so much everybody. I appreciate you guys. All right, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow. We'll have more great programming for you here on Detroit Today. Also, remember, if you like the show and enjoy listening, you ought to share it. Share it with your friends and your family, your neighbors. This community is better when there are more of us taking part. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. Tomorrow.